19. Our next one will be uh, 20 in 2020. But before that, we got to do 19. What's going on, Vort? Going strong, entering the holiday season, and preparing for another Jets loss. So, par for course, same old, same old. How are you? I'm good. I guess we don't have to do the podcast because uh, my prediction is also a loss. So, yeah, we can. Okay, have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. Good to talk to you. Catch you next week. Before we actually do our game predictions, um, a couple of Adam Gase things came up this week. I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, one of them, unfortunately, we missed because we did ours late after the game. And he had obviously already had his press conference at that point. So we, we totally missed this one, which it's fine. It gives us something to talk about tonight. But how much of a freaking mental social moron is Adam Gase? Funny enough, I have my notes in front of me and top of the page is notes on Adam Gase and then I go into my Jets and Raiders breakdown the only thing that I got on Gase and I don't know if this is the thing you're referring to or you have something else is obviously his interview where Adam Gase states that he has not helped Sam Darnold's development uh, and basically uh, helped progress his career the right way and me personally as a diehard Jet fan I was just shocked to hear that because without him saying it all these weeks, all I kept thinking was, wow, Sam Darnold has, looks terrific, and Adam Gase is making him look uh, basically, a, he's basically making him an all pro. And then he comes out and says that uh, he has not helped develop Sam Darnold. I mean, my fucking God, just shut up. If this is what you got to say, just shut your mouth. I actually have a different take on it. I think Adam Gase was indirectly and passively aggressively throwing Sam under the bus because if you listen to what he said before and after that statement he made the usual excuses all oh, he, he didn't have the line he didn't have this whatever whatever and then he said I came here to grow him I haven't been able to do that so I think he's throwing a shot that at, at, at both his team and at Sam Darnold it's not Adam Gase's fault I honestly believe Adam Gase is not capable of taking blame so I think he was saying that, you know, be- between Sam Darnold and all of the things he's had to go through and all of our players not living up to expectations, I have not been able to develop him. I really think that because I don't think he's the type to stand up there and take the accountability like that. Funny enough, when I first heard the interview and when I first read about it, I kind of chuckled to myself and said, what an idiot. Like, what a way to say, Mis- thank you, Mr. Obvious. But hearing you say this, it makes so much sense. I just... I didn't allow my anger at the moment, whether it was anger, frustration. I just laughed out loud. I literally laughed out loud and said, thank you, Mr. Obvious. But I actually now, now that I'm calmed and relaxed, and as much as I respect your opinion, I have to agree. I think this was another way of him sort of in some way deflecting criticism off himself and sort of putting it on Sam saying, listen, I didn't do my job, but he's clearly not a good player. Let's call a spade a spade. Regardless of whether Adam Gase was throwing Sam under the bus by blaming everything in the world except himself, or if he was flat out admitting that he has failed, how as an NFL head coach do you stand up there and say that no matter what your intention was? I mean, at this point now, the Jets, how did the Jets keep this guy after everything he's done this week? Because the thing we missed was was not that. That was it was the play calling thing, which we'll get to in a second, actually preceded this. So you have him lose another stupid game against Miami. Then he go, he goes into the whole play calling thing, and then this now, and he, you know, it, this is a, this is beyond embarrassing and into just flat out disaster land. And I don't understand how the Jets keep him around. I just don't. And now as we're talking about it, I'm actually, I feel myself fuming again because you opened up a whole new avenue to look at that speech. I was looking at it from the angle of, um, yeah, okay, he kind of, he stated the obvious, which everybody knows. 
and he just said, okay, it's time. We're 0-11. I have to admit the fact that uh, we haven't performed, we being me and Sam as a tandem, because I believe the head coach and the quarterback usually are tied at the hip to one another's success. Now, as we're kind of untangling this interview, it's the only way I can take it is him literally, he basically went out and said in not so many words that Sam Darnold is not a good NFL quarterback. And if Sam Darnold, as we both uh, as we both expect, he will not be playing for the Jets next season, at least give the guy some, I don't know whether it's a moral boost, whatever it may be, but give him some positivity. Say something. He's shown improvement. He's been hurt. We haven't had the preseason. Send him out the door with some positivity for other teams to grab onto something to say, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. The kid was injured. There was no preseason. He stripped Sam Darnold of old dignity. He basically went out there and said, yeah, the guy's not a good NFL quarterback. I could have helped him. I could. Uh, I could. I could have helped him. I didn't. But he's not a good player. And he also did what he usually does, which is blame everybody else on the team. All oh, these. The line hasn't played well. You know, he hasn't had his receivers. There's injuries. He he has thrown his team under the bus once again. And in this in this case, it's worse than the individual games where he says, "Well, if they would have executed the play, that would have been great." Now he's throwing the entire team under the bus for the failure of their franchise quarterback. But you know, it's never him. It is not Adam Gase's fault in any way. It's every else and that's the reason why i know i keep sounding like a homer i always agree with you i always agree with you but the thing is if you look at the history even if we just focus on this season it's a, it goes back to what you just said adam gase has not shown the ability or the capability to sit in front of the media and take the blame and say i got out coached i didn't call the right play it's always been well if the team executes the way i want them to execute or if the team does this that or the other it's never him so why am i gonna all of a sudden week 11 believe that he's being this humble guy no he's just finding another way to push blame onto somebody else and that's his mo you actually just hit on a part of it was um, the um, oh the the play calling if the play was a great play if these guys would have executed it the way it was designed it it would have worked that, you know that is the the ultimate if statement like the you know like like everybody will say if my uncle had you know, my uncle didn't have balls he'd be my aunt but I mean that is the ultimate if this then that statement is to say well yeah I mean if they would have executed the play but you know maybe the fact that they continually don't execute the plays either means your play is either too complicated or or too simple it could be both or you're just not teaching correctly i mean so no matter what in that situation he's got to be able to take some blame he's got some culpability here but he never he never admits that even if he just changed it to some sort of a we statement we didn't produce he always manages and again i'm just i'm untangling the statement the way you kind of broke it down to make me look at it from a different angle but now it's just the It's a continuation of trying to basically fall into a pile of shit and come out smelling like roses. He does not want to have any blame. He doesn't want to take any responsibility. He always wants to come out looking like the the smartest guy in the room. And if only everybody else was as smart as him, we'd be a successful bunch. But I'm not blessed with... uh, I'm not blessed with that. I'm surrounded by a bunch of incompetent idiots, so I have to pay the price and look like the, like I'm failing. There was um, I, I want to actually paraphrase it. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I um, I did a, one of my videos the other day on Adam Gase about the other thing I want to talk about. You know, and my my thing was what is wrong with this guy? And basically, my take is that he's on the spectrum, right? He's got Asperger's, which we've talked about. And he's got a little bit of that narcissist thing where it's never his fault. And one guy replied 
unbelievable reply. You should go read this if you can. The, the basic gist of it, which I want to find the part that did it, is that uh, Gay said, blah, blah, he's got a genius complex, right? Which you've said a million times. He's got sociopathic narcissism. And for the world, uh, for him, for guys like him, the world is about aesthetics and appearance. When things don't go according to plan, it looks ugly because genius can't fail. So when a project that to the genius was really always about proving the feasibility of the genius plan. And when it fails, there's no recourse because, because everything in him is based on the plan succeeding because it was so it was so good. When you translate it to football, the games get non-competitive so quickly. When it becomes apparent that the plan is not going to work, he gets deflated and gives up because to win by some other method defies his reason for coaching, which is to prove the superiority of his scheme. So that pretty much goes into what you said is he wants to prove he's smarter than everyone else. But this guy sounds like a psychologist. I mean, it's a great response. He basically said that that Gase is, which we've also said, Gase is incapable of making these adjustments because doing so actually would be admitting that his plan wasn't good to begin with. So he actually, yeah, he actually gets deflated and gives up. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up now, looking at the track record, and when we look at Adam Gase at his stays in Miami and in New York, I think it's a valid question to ask, did he gain his fame, quote unquote fame, as an offensive genius because he was lucky enough to work with absolutely all-time great talented players who made him look better than he is? Is he just a guy who can potentially work with just the superstars, the cream of the crop? Because to say that he's a coach who can develop young talent, to call him an offensive genius, I think is absolutely insulting to the word genius. And you have to question his ability to be a coach when you are not surrounded by superstars. He came to the Jets with a reputation already slightly on a decline because of his uh, stay in Miami. But I think now with his disastrous stays in New York, you can logically say that the guy was horrendously overrated and was the beneficiary of being lucky enough to build his name, quote unquote, and reputation because he had superior talent around him that made him look that good. And in reality, he really never was. Somebody pointed out yesterday, I forget who, um, that um, you know, he had he was working with Manning, but Manning that was in the Omaha days. Manning was audibling out of every single play. It, it became a running joke that Peyton Manning was calling Omaha before the snap, and and that turns out it was his audible. To, to me, the reality is that Adam Gase was in a situation where he was lucky enough to work with an all-time great who pretty much became his own on-field offensive coordinator. So Adam Gase was—I'm sure—Adam Gase had a big as far as preparing the game plan, discussing the discussing the options with Peyton before the game. But at this point, I really have to question how much input he had, how much of Peyton's success can be attributed to Adam Gase. I, I really have to question that because when he was given somebody like a Tannehill, a young quarterback, highly drafted quarterback, who is now actually, um, I don't want to call him an old pro, even though he was, but he showed himself to be a very, very capable quarterback on a playoff team. And now we're looking at Sam Darnold, another high draft, high, highly drafted player, supposed to be a franchise cornerstone, and he's turning out to be a monumental flop. So I'm sorry, but I have to say that Adam Gase was nothing more at this point but a beneficiary of ending up at an all-time great. As you were saying all of that, I came to a conclusion. If what that guy said earlier, that I, that you know, what I said earlier about uh, about what the guy said, that 
Gase cannot back off of a plan because it means it was a failure. So he gets confused. It's almost almost like a like some of those old 80s movies with the robot. When you confuse it, it starts to go haywire and start to smoke. That's like that's that's Gase's brain. So that would mean that with someone like Peyton Manning, who can make him look good, where he can take credit for the good game plan, he looks good and he's happy and things go well. But if he has to do any teaching or any motivating or any leading, it's not possible because a guy who, who, who can't admit failure can't lead. So I, I guess I guess it's similar to what you were saying in that he got lucky to be surrounded by talent. But the only way he could ever look good if is he's surrounded by talent because it's an inherently yeah, inherently flawed situation to begin with where he can only succeed if everybody's better than him and he cannot succeed at all if he's be- if he thinks he's better than anybody and he can't and he can't get these people to buy into his system. I know I'm being a little dramatic with the statement, but it almost seems like when he was coaching Peyton Manning and he was he was the voice in Peyton Manning's ear, this is what I imagined the play call sounding like before Peyton goes up the line of scrimmage. Peyton, this is Adam. We're going to pass. Peyton, this is Adam. We're going to pass. And now he ends up on a team like Miami or the Jets, and he actually has to call a play because he doesn't have a Peyton Manning to audible at the line of scrimmage. And we see what his play calling has led to. It's just a guy who's not able to adjust. And he certainly, at this point, I think has proven that he cannot make marginal talent overperform and overachieve, which the great coaches do because they find a way to scheme to your strength and make players better. He has not done any of that. I don't know if it ties into it or not, but it is about play calling. The, the thing that happened earlier in the week in his press conference after the game where Gase uh, lied about who's calling the plays. Did you see that? I did not. Please, please, oh, please fill please. me in. Okay, so, so basically what happened was Gase, during the press conference, was asked you know, did you take the play calls back today? And he said, I'm not calling the plays. And the reporters actually went after him and didn't say, hey, you're lying. But they said, well, you know, we saw Logan standing on the sideline doing nothing. What was he doing? Uh, you know, if you if he was calling the plays, he said, well, this is not difficult. Log, he sends me in three plays and then I replayed him. I, I re- relayed him to Sam. Now I'm going to stop right there and I'll get to the rest of the conversation. But he's sending in three plays for it. Three plays, which means... A, they're not changing plays if something goes wrong or if they see something on the defense or worse. Like it explains perfectly why he's he his plays seem out of out of sync and you you're running on second and twenty and you're throwing on you know whatever. I mean it it, it just it, it explains perfectly if they have three designed plays. That's number one. Number two, three. What happens if you get a first down? What do you do with the fourth play at that point? So that's ridiculous. Okay, now back to the interview where he said he said he sends in the three plays and then blah 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 and the guy was like yeah but we looked at him through the whole time he was talking to somebody he wasn't calling plays then gase admitted that he took some of the third down plays then he admitted that he took some of the plays that he took the plays back later in the game when you know when they were behind and they needed a little bit more of a an up tempo or a hurry up offense which i never saw myself but basically this guy lied the whole time D- d- never once told the truth, couldn't admit that Loggins was calling the plays or he was calling the plays. And to me, not only is it so stupid to lie about something like that, but he also is throwing his 
offensive coordinator under the bus completely because he can't even admit that the play, you know, he can't admit that his play calls are bad. So he's got to blame it on the other guy. Did we already talk about this? (laughs) I feel like we did. I feel like we we touch on this every week, but the guy has clearly showed and continues to show. You figure at this point, somebody would pull him aside and be like, Adam, just talk a little bit less. He can't get out of his own way. And the biggest thing, I believe... The reason he dug his own grave is at this point he has lost any credibility. As a head coach, that's one thing you cannot lose. You have to be a man. You have to be a leader. And he continues to lie. He continues to deflect blame. He has lost credibility. I keep reading reports that the team still tries for him. They play for him. I don't believe it. I simply don't believe it. I think he's lost the locker room. I think he lost any credibility that he might have had. It's done. It's over with signed, sealed, and delivered. I just, I don't understand why the Jets have to wait until the end of the season, but that's a whole different conversation. Right. Yeah. That's the the two points I want to make. Number one, I don't know why they have to wait to the end of the season. I could see it a few weeks ago, but when you get your quarterback, your franchise quarterback back into the game and he's that atrocious and you once again lose by three scores or more to a team that wasn't, is not that good. And you continue to get blown out. Then you lie about play calling. Then you stand there and admit that you haven't done anything for your quarterback. At what point does this guy ever get held accountable for anything at all? Is the, is there a point like that? And then the other point, you you had mentioned that um you know the players haven't given up have they, they say the players haven't given up and you think they have I they absolutely have is what happens is any veteran who wouldn't deal with that bullshit is is painted as a malcontent and traded or released and then anybody else is a young kid who's not going to stand up to a coach and that damage his career in the first year and that's what all these players are doing so you know they're playing hard because they're rookies and they want to play hard but they're not playing hard for Adam Gase and it's certainly in no way whatsoever prepared for anything at all. So it, it just that's just a complete shit show to think that the team hasn't quit on him because there, there's no ability to quit on him right now. You know, he got rid of anybody who did quit on him. You just, again, made a very, very, very good point. There's a big difference between the effort, which I still see in the young guys. That, to me, is a very, very positive sign because they are trying. They're trying to put something good on tape. They're just doing their best. But there's a big difference between trying and being prepared and being put in a position to succeed. And that's what the Jets clearly do not have. They're not a prepared team. They're not a team that's being put in a position to succeed. And that starts from the head coach. Agreed. And and he hasn't he's never put in a position to succeed from a game plan, from from a play calling standpoint, or from anything else. He's he's atrocious. Okay, enough about him. We've wasted enough time on that guy. Let's talk some Raiders. I will make it nice and easy, nice and quick. The Raiders got embarrassed. They got spanked last week. The Jets spanked them last year. There is no way the Raiders come in here unprepared and um in, in, in any kind of letdown situation. I think they are going to smoke the Jets. It would not surprise me if they be if they won by 25 points. And so I would lay the points. If you're a gambling man, get on that app right now. Lay the lay the nine before it gets to be more. I got it at six and a half, so I was all over it. The first line in my notes talking about the game. Jets versus Raiders. Wow, what a terrible time for a bad team like the Jets to face the Raiders. The Raiders are coming off a loss, a bad loss, and now they need a W because they are actually in a playoff hunt, so this game matters to them. So now we have a team that needs a win, that is hungry for a win, 
and they're playing against a shit team like the Jets, this is going to get ugly. I agree. So let's let's just start with best case, worst case, realistic case, man. You go. So before I jump into that, I also wanted to, a little note that I made for myself, what I think is really going to sting this game, and I mean S-T-I-N-G, not stink, but sting, is this game is going to be like a death by a thousand cuts. The Raiders are not a team like the Chiefs that make these explosive plays where Tyreek Hill can take it to the house, 70 yards, 60 yards, whatever that may be. They're a team based on controlling the ball, being physical. Uh, they have one of the best young running backs in the game, actually one of the best running backs in the game, period. Uh, Jacobs, a, a young star who's coming into his own, just a physical guy who gets you the tough yards. He'll grind it out, he'll get the first down. And then they have the Jets kryptonite. They have a terrific tight end. The Jets are going to be completely incapable of stopping Darren Waller, who's going to have a fantastic game. I can't see him not having a good game. It's as simple as that. He's the prototypical tight end for today's NFL. Safeties can't cover him because he's too fast. Linebackers can't stay with him. And he's too big and strong to be covered by a cornerback. This is going to be one of those things where the Raiders are going to have long, sustained drives. Most of them I expect to end in a touchdown. But this game really... I'm already preparing for the worst. It's its going to be a slow execution. It's not going to be just a... It's not going to be a bullet to the head where you you go nice and fast. It's literally right. going to be a death by a thousand cuts. My prediction for the game is I see it pretty much like you. Uh, my score prediction is Raiders 30, Jets 13. I see it as an absolute massacre. So what you're saying is I've seen this with the Jets too, is it's going to be one of those super frustrating games where you know it's third down six times and the Jets give it up every single time on a 10-minute drive. And then eventually the, the defense is so tired that and the offense goes three and out that the defense then starts giving up big plays i i i I hear you they they haven't had one like that in a while and i have to go back and look but i don't remember the last time this season anyway that the jets came out and just got absolutely smoked i mean a lot of it's been slow death it's the 49ers game comes to mind immediately like the chargers beat them by a lot i mean not the Chargers, the colts beat them by a lot but that was slow like they were in the game and then the Chargers kind of methodically added here added there and then there was you know, there was an interception return, if I remember correctly. I there there haven't been a lot of games where the Jets were out of it from the from the get go, and I think this will be one of them. I you know I I don't know if it's going to be slow and methodical. I could see a couple of drives like that, but I think the Raiders are going to be angry. They're going to come in, and uh, by the way, Josh Jacobs is questionable. I'm not sure he's going to play. So um, one of the guys on the radio today was saying that if Jacobs doesn't play, then it's going to open up the offense even more, and the, and the Raiders are just going to just you know run and shoot everything. So it's a terrible time to face the Raiders. They need a win plus. They're embarrassed and angry from the ass-kicking they took last week. And I'll tell you honestly, I picked the Jets to score 13 points, a touchdown and two field goals, and I feel it's a stretch. What have the Jets often shown, healthy, not healthy? I don't have confidence in them scoring one touchdown, but listen, it's it's like playing the lottery. You buy enough scratch-offs, eventually you'll get one. It might not be the million-dollar ticket that retires you, but you'll win 10 bucks to keep to play again. And that's kind of how I see the Jets getting that token touchdown and putting up 13 points. But last I checked, punts, uh, punts and turnovers and three and outs do not win you too many football games. I agree on that part. I, I don't think the Jets score. I think the Jets are in one of their, the, I mean, it, it happened quick because they looked pretty good until last week. But I think the way the wheels are coming off now between Gase again under so much pressure and and saying stupid things and Darnold 
looked so bad last week. I mean, we talked about this. We don't have to get into it again, but he looks so bad. His confidence cannot be, it can't even be on, 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 on the radar, his confidence uh, right now. And then the coach standing up there saying, I have failed him. I mean, his confidence has to be absolutely terrible. Now, the Raiders' defense is not as good as Miami's defense, so maybe Donald has a little bit better game. I can't see them score much. I think the Raiders crush him. I think 30 to 13 is not even enough. I think this is going to be, you know, 38 to 6, you know, 38 to 10, something like that. I can't see the Jets staying in this game. I think if the Raiders hadn't gotten crushed and embarrassed last week and combined with the fact that the Raiders didn't come in here last year and get spanked by the Jets when no one expected that, I think the Raiders will remember that. I think they need the win to stay in the playoff race and they're going to come in here and kill the Jets. That's just my opinion. Now, my best case scenario is that the Jets actually stay in the game and only lose by two scores. You know, I mean, I, there's, I don't see a scenario where the Jets can can win this game, and I don't see a scenario where it's another one of those field goal games. So my best-case scenario is Raiders, tw- you know, a couple of turnovers. Raiders 24, Jets 10, Jets 13, 24-13, 24-12. You've groomed me well. You've groomed me well. My best-case scenario is as follows. Due to the lack of explosive plays, the Raiders will only put up 20 to 23 points for the whole game, but that will still be enough to win by two scores plus. That's the best case. And then the realistic for me, I'm going, the realistic is somewhere in between and, uh, you know, 31 to 31 to 7, 31 to 9, 31 to 10, something like that. So it's not going to be a pretty game. Uh, 0-12 is is virtually guaranteed. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be having this conversation Sunday night about about how it's only four left to go before we have Trevor Lawrence and a, and a fresh start on life. At least now we're approaching the finish line that we can start looking and dreaming of uh, Trevor Lawrence. But yeah, my worst case scenario is the Raiders come out hungry, pissed off, looking like a playoff team with a point to prove. They're going to go into halftime up by 20 plus points, something like 24-3, 24-6, something in the range of 20. And then the second half, it's just going to be sort of a victory lap where you're just cruising along, trying not to get injured. So you might not win by 35 plus, but it's all going to be a formality after halftime. That's my worst case scenario. People who think, and I don't think there's many, but people who are thinking the Jets should be able to hang in this game, forget that the Raiders beat Kansas City and then almost beat them the second time. And that was only a couple of weeks ago. We're not talking, you know, like the Raiders played well early in the season and the wheels came off. They had one bad game. They drove course country. And I think people sleep on the Falcons because their record's bad and they just don't have a great defense. But the Falcons, the Falcons can play. They're not a horrendous team. They just, they're not a good finishing team. They are not a strong fundamental team but they have a lot of talent so you know the Raiders got killed okay it happens people are totally forgetting that the Raiders have played really well this year in spots and they took the best team in the league almost beat them twice almost beat them twice and that is that that's a that's a tremendous thing and a team like that coached by Gruden who's a good coach gonna bring them in there he's not gonna let them let down after last week there's no way they're letting down if the Jets are in this game it's because the Jets did something right it won't be because the Raiders were flat that's for sure Agreed. The team didn't show up last week, the team being the Raiders, and uh, that happens to a lot of good teams. There's just always that one game in a season where you just don't show up, you don't have it. I think that was that game for the Raiders last season, and now the Jets are going to get spanked and pay the price for the Raiders' shortcomings last week. It is not going to be pretty. Worst case, best case, realistic case, this is going to be ugly. It's going to get out of hand quickly. 
I don't see any way the Jets remain competitive in this game. Give me your final score prediction so that we can put it on the record and see who was right. I'm going to stick with the Raiders scoring 30. I see them having six scoring drives, three touchdowns, three field goals. That's 30 points for the Raiders. And somehow, some way, I do see the Jets finagling three points in the first half on the field goal. And later in the second half, they'll manage another scoring drive, which will be a touchdown on the field goal. So I'll stick with my original prediction. 13 points for the Jets. Final score, 30 to 13 for the Raiders as we drop to 0-12. I'm going 38-6. I say the Jets put up two field goals this time or a missed extra point. So uh, 38-6 is my prediction. And uh, I guess that will call it. I don't have any Facebook posts this week. I've been, I've been very busy. So uh, we'll skip them for this week. Enjoy the game, my brother. And I will uh, talk to you Sunday. Talk to you Sunday night. Enjoy the game.